I was glad to discover this week that we had one more week to spend some time in Acts before we move into our 40 days emphasis. And so I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 9 with me. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, we're going to find our text today on page 933. I mean, Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 31. And um, one of the interesting things about this passage is we're going to look at one of the great figures of history. In fact, I have a quote there for you from a scholar from Britain just a little earlier said that beyond Jesus Christ, who kind of had an advantage because he was both God and man, there's probably nobody else who has shaped Western civilization more than the Apostle Paul. But often when you study great people, you, you really find it hard to find anything that you can really use because they're just such so far above you or their resources are so vast compared to yours, you, you find their advice kind of help, kind of helpless. I mean, I, it's kind of like Ted Williams telling baseball hitters says, you know, they said, what was your secret for hitting? And he said, well, I just watched the seams, you know, the baseball. Most people are struggling just to see the baseball, let alone the seams. And so what good is the advice? You know, I remember when I was just came back to New England to start pastoring and and um, I was in a church plant, and I went to a, a special meeting where this pastor of a very large church, he was very effective in his ministry, his church was extremely evangelistic, was there to teach us some principles about how to develop an evangelistic church. And, and I remember him saying to us, he said, well, you know, one of the things I do is every single day, I take an unbeliever to lunch on the church credit card. And I'm thinking to myself, my church can't even pay me. I don't even have a credit card. You know, it was advice like, what in the world am I going to do with that? Well, we're going to find in the Apostle Paul today some truths, some very simple truths that are very powerful for us when we think about our spiritual pilgrimage and those who are around us. Now, we've met Paul a couple of times before we get here. And this event is so central to the spread of the gospel and Paul's um, preparation to be an instrument of the spread of the gospel, that this story is actually told three different times in the book of Acts. It's told here in chapter 9 by Luke. It's recounted again twice by Paul, once in chapter 22 when he's speaking to the crowd in Jerusalem, and again in chapter 26 when he's speaking before the authorities who are holding trial over him. And in many places throughout his writings, he refers to this experience. It was a life-altering and world-changing kind of event that we're going to discover in this passage. Now, we've already met Paul twice. When Stephen was being stoned, he was a young man standing off to the side, and he was the one who was watching the coats to make sure nobody got, nothing got stolen. Then we've met him at the beginning of chapter 8, where, where he joins in and he takes the lead in trying to root out the Hellenistic Christians who are spread throughout Jerusalem, and he's going house to house, maybe understood to go from meeting to meeting, and he's arresting and putting in prison those who are calling upon the name of Christ as Savior and Lord. Now we pick him up in chapter 9. Follow along in your Bibles. What, What I want to do is I want to read the text, and then I want to come back, make some comments about some of the details that are in it, and then kind of make our observations about the what and the so what. It says, Meanwhile... Now this is after Peter, Philip was up in Samaria ministering and, and then he had the experience with the Ethiopian eunuch. While all that's going on, Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
And he went to the high priest and he requested letters or authorization from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, Here am I, Lord. That's always a great way to reply to the Lord. Here am I, Lord. Get up, he said, and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and Asher, a man from Tarsus, named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he may regain his sight. Interesting that the vision isn't just about a man, but it's a man named Ananias. You know, God's that specific, you know, in his affirmations to Paul about what's going on. Lord Ananias answered, I, I've heard about, <laughs> I've heard of, from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, one of the first places where Christians are called saints in the Scriptures. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles. Four kings and the sons of Israel. I will certainly show him how much he must suffer for my name. Not the commissioning I want to get. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, it, and, and one, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. But all who heard him were astounded and said, astounded and said, I, isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called in his name? And then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But the plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates at day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. 
when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was the disciples. Barnabas, however, remember we met him earlier, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how, on the road, Saul had seen the Lord and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brothers found out, they took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church... Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Again, it's, it's, as these events unfolded, there was probably nobody who anticipated the impact that these moments on the road to Damascus were going to have for human history. And for the expansion of the church. So here you have Paul. He's still just consumed with stamping out the heresy as he sees it, known as Christianity. And he's, he's run out of fuel for fire in Jerusalem. <laughs> he's, got, he's got those Christians on the run. Many of them he's got in prison. And he knows that, it, that with that, some have scattered. And they've gone to another place about 150 miles away, a city by the name of Damascus, an ancient city, maybe one of the most ancient cities in the entire world that's still in existence. And, and they fled there to a, Jerus- to, a, a, to a community of Jews. And so he, he looks for authority to go and to weed out the heretics. Now, under Roman law and Jewish custom, he would have had that authority. He could have taken these letters from the high priest who had spiritual authority over Jews throughout the world, he could have taken these to Damascus, submitted them to the right people, and would have had the ability to arrest and extradite any Christians that he had found who were Jewish. And so he's on his way to Damascus. In fact, the Scripture tells us he was almost there. It's about a 150-mile journey. Now, most likely that's like seven to eight, maybe nine days by foot. It all kind of depends on what caravan you're in and how fast they're moving and etc. But you're talking about, he, he's been on the road for a week, walking, hours and hours every single day. And literally, just kind of like as the city begins to come into view, he has a spiritual experience. He meets Jesus. The Scripture says here that a voice speaks to him. In other count, accounts that Paul gives, he says he actually saw the risen Lord standing on the road. And here's the statement. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, well, well, who are you? And he uses the word Lord. Probably whenever you usually meet a kind of a supernatural figure, I think you have a, a tone of respect. I don't know if he recognized him, this person as Jesus right away or not, but he certainly recognized that he was not human. It was, this wasn't some, just somebody ordinary meeting him, so he refers to him respect as Lord. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But then he gives him a command. Get up. Go into the city. And you'll be told what you must do. Now God tells Ananias what it is that Paul must do. That he's going to be an instrument 
to carry his name before the Gentiles. And somehow or another, through Ananias, who is not an apostle, who is not a deacon, God commissions the individual who's going to be have more responsibility, more impact for spreading the gospel than anyone we're going to find in the New Testament. This layman comes, and God uses him as his instrument to tell Paul what his role is in the kingdom. Now, as you can manage, Ananias is a little skeptical about all of this. He has a dream, and he says, you know, God, I've heard about this guy. You know, this might not be a good thing. I understand he came here to arrest all of us. And you want me to go look for him where I should be hiding from him. And, you know, one of the beautiful lessons for us, and we're not going to have a chance to explore it today, is that faithfulness and obedience to God always involves a risk. If there's not risk going on in your faith journey right now, you're probably really not faithfully following God's call. Ananias shows up. He meets with Paul. He prays for Paul. He lays hands on Paul. And Paul, has a, a, his, he, he regains his sight. And immediately, Paul begins to teach in Damascus. Somewhere in here, he recognizes that he needs to think about some things. How is it that he, as one who was trying to pursue God, actually found himself opposing the work of God? He was trying to stamp out heretics, but he indeed was the heretic himself. And he couldn't figure out how any of that happened. So we read from Galatians that in this period of time, Paul went off to Arabia by himself and just studied. Just reworked his entire understanding of the Scriptures. He studied and studied. In fact, that, that, that connection makes sense because that happens in here. He, Luke doesn't tell us anything about Paul's departure or his return to Damascus. But in other places in Paul's writings, writings, we hear about the fact that right after his conversion, he went into Arabia. He stayed there for up to three years. And then he returned to Damascus. And when he got back to Damascus and he was teaching again in the streets and teaching in the synagogues, confounding the Hellenistic Jews, that when they decided to arrest him and kind of put him out of his misery, if you will, that those who guarded the gates were from the kingdom of the Nabataeans, which, which is an Arabic community. He had, he had made them so mad in Arabia that they had followed him to Damascus and they were actually guarding the gates looking for him and they had to lower him out a window of a house that was built into the wall of the city in a basket and he had to leave in disgrace, running with his tail between his legs, if you will. And then he makes his way to Jerusalem. And there, the church isn't so excited to see him. I'm not sure we've ever had a day like that here at Hope Chapel where we've said, oh, shh, close the windows, turn out the lights. We want them to know that we're here, you know. But that's really kind of what's going on here. Paul tries to show up for church, and they're like, let's hide. But there's one guy, Barnabas, who reaches out to him. Barnabas, again, the risk taker, the compassionate one, the empathizer. He reaches out, and he connects with Paul, and he comes to a place where he vouches for Paul. He puts his mark of credentials, if you will, on Paul. And Paul connects with the apostles. He tells us in some of his writings, it was only with Peter and James. But he connects with the apostles. And he begins to teach. And again, he's driven out of the city. And then we see this summary verse. 
So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Now, what are some things that we see from this text? And then I want to make, you know, there's lots of things we can make in terms of direct applications, but there's a couple of things that God has just really laid very heavily on my heart for us to consider today. But first of all, one of the things that you should see from this text is that the ascended Christ is still at work. Somehow or another, we have this idea that Jesus is kind of there, and we're down here. But you see here that Jesus, the ascended Christ, is still at work. That the, There are some who believe that the most appropriate title for the book of Acts would be the Acts of the Risen Christ. This is Christ working in the world directly through the Holy Spirit and through the church, but the book of Acts is about the work of Jesus Christ even after His ascension. And, and that should bring comfort to us, that Jesus is still at work in the world. You know, I understand that the Bible teaches that things are going to get worse before it gets better. You know, one of the most troubling things about the book of Revelation is that no matter how, how great we are about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, things are going to get worse. Sin is just going to spread. And there's a temptation on our part when we recognize that reality that God has told us about in advance that somehow or another we come to accept that. And you know what? I think we should accept the fact that that's a reality. But I do not think we should ever come to the point where we accept the rightness of that. You know, there's some times where we, you know, we can think about issues that face our culture that you know, maybe the issue of, of, of abortion or same-sex marriage or whatever, that, that kind of that horse has left the, the barn and it's never going back in and we should just forget about it. Well, it may be a reality, but we should never embrace it in its rightness in terms of the idea that it's right before the eyes of God. See, Christ is still active in the world. And even though for a while it's going to get worse, He hasn't given up on our world. And things are going to get better. For eternity. I also want you to recognize, and this is both comforting and challenging, that Jesus has an intimate connection with the body of Christ. You know, when Jesus shows up on the Damascus Road and confronts Paul, he doesn't say, Why are you persecuting my people? He says, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus had this identity with his people. There's this intimacy, this connection that cannot be severed. And, and again, it's a, an incredible message for us. We witness firsthand that Jesus is identifying with his people. The church really is the body of Christ. As the body suffered, the head came and intervened. And you and I are, are connected to Christ and to the body of Christ, whether we like it or not, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And what we do has an effect on the kingdom, even if we try to do it in isolation and in secret. It has an impact on the kingdom. And it's an amazing thing to think about what the potential is of the church if everyone understood that their character their behavior, their commitment, their activity, all of it affects the impact of the church in the world. It's not just the leaders. 
It's not just the, the key folks, but it's every single one of us has an impact on how the church actually functions in the world because we are intimately and inseparably connected to Christ. But the big message of this text, the big what, is that the persecutor is made a proclaimer. The one who is the persecutor of the church becomes the proclaimer of the gospel. And as the result of that, the church is poised for its expansion throughout the known world. In fact, by chapter 13, by chapter 13, Paul is going to become the focus of the rest of the book of Acts. The shift is going to go from Jerusalem to Antioch. And the mission then is going to be how the gospel gets to Rome. All of this is set up here because God in a singular event stepped into the life of the person who was a persecutor of the church and made him a proclaimer of the gospel. A step I think he's trying to make in each and every one of our lives. But, but there are a couple of, of fundamental truths from this passage today that, that I don't want us to miss. You know, as I said at the beginning, sometimes we look at great people and and we say, well, boy, I'm, I am mesmerized by their life, but I, ca- I can't do that. I just can't do that. They're, they're great to look up to, but I can never look them eye to eye because they're, they're just in a place that I can never get to. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and it's going to unfold throughout the pages of the book of Acts, you and I can look him in the eye because we can learn some lessons from him that really speak to the way we do life every single day. And here's the first truth that comes to his life, from his life to ours. You and I are never in a place where we are beyond the reach of God's grace. Now let that sink in for a minute. You're not in a place, and nobody that you know is in a place that's beyond the reach of God's grace. I don't think it's incidental that Paul is just about to Damascus. The point of no return, if you will. He's traveled over 100 miles, maybe 149 and a half miles to get to Damascus. He's right on the verge, but even at that point, he's not beyond the reach of God's grace. You know, and and I don't know, we, we, we just have this idea sometimes that we are so far from God. We've neglected God for so long. God has done so much for us or whatever, and we've never paid attention to Him. And and it's just that we are just beyond. We are just beyond hope. That never happens in our lives. We had a family here one time that that ran into a very difficult medical experience. Church rallied, prayed. You know, person came through the experience successfully, moved on, is now cancer-free. But somehow or another, they, they never re-engaged with the body after the health experience. And, and I talked to one of the people involved about six months to a year later. And, and really, the, the words that kind of came through the phone were this. It, you know, we, it's just so embarrassing that we never came back. That, that, we're, that we're really just beyond being connected anymore. I want to tell you, that never happens. You never get to a place where you are beyond God's grace. You know, we live out here in the suburbs. You know, we, we do a lot of ministry with Pleasant Street Baptist, you know. And I get, I get a call from Noel, you know, a number of years ago, eh, probably three, four years ago, and he said, well, I need some advice. 
It says, we got four sex offenders who are attending our church. How do I handle that when they're here on a Sunday morning? I've never had that issue here at Oak Chapel. We've had a sex offender here. Not with us anymore. But God did some marvelous things in his life a long time ago, and he's no longer here, et cetera. But God, you know, I don't get those kinds of issues. We, we don't have just blatant drug, drug addicts and alcoholics and et cetera. We, we don't have those kind of... But I tell you what, we have some of those issues in our body. And you have some of those issues in your neighborhoods. You have some of those issues in your families. And sometimes we get to a place where we think, well, you know what? I'm just beyond God's grace. You know, I, 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 am, I, am, I am so unworthy. I've moved so far away. I've done so many different things that God just can't reach me anymore. And the Apostle Paul's life says to us, that just does not ever happen. I want you to recognize something from this text. Look, look at the last verse that we read, right? In ch- verse, verse 31. When Paul stops persecuting the church, the church has peace. Paul just wasn't a persecutor of the church. Paul was the persecutor of the church. He was the lightning rod, the catalyst, the initiator. Without him, it didn't happen. He was the one who kept the fires burning. And when he's off the scene because God has changed his heart, the persecution goes away and peace comes. That, that tells you how far Paul was away. He wasn't just somebody cut up, caught up in the wave of emotion, you know, because there's crowds rushing through the seats. seats. He's the guy who's standing up at the stadium trying to get everybody to start cheering in the first place. You know, when you go to Fenway Park, the guy who's trying to get the wave going by himself at the beginning. That's Paul. You know, he, he, you know, he's the one who's doing it. I mean, this shows you how dark his heart is in terms of the things of the gospel. And God changes him. God changes him. There, there is not anything in your life that's made you unreachable for the grace of God. There's only one thing that keeps you away from God's grace in the moment. And that's the choice that you're making in the moment doesn't have anything to do with your past. It simply has to do with the choice that you're making in the moment. Are we going to respond to God's grace or not? Are we going to be like Ananias and say, here, am I, here I am, Lord? Or are we going to say, go away? That's the only thing that affects our reachability from God's grace. God's seeking to reach you now. You know, and if, and if you've never experienced God's grace, you've never had a, a come to Jesus kind of move, meeting like Saul did here on the road, yours is in mine, probably won't be near as dramatic as his. But if you've never had that kind of moment where you've confronted who Christ is, what Christ has done for you, and the choice that you're going to make about it, I invite you to make that choice today. Because the only thing that keeps you separated from God's grace is your choice. There's a place on your connection card where you can just check out, I choose to become a follower of Christ. And I or one of our staff members will follow up with you and say, how can we help you in this journey? you have any questions, etc.? We're not going to bug you. We're not going to pursue you. We're not going to show up in your door and never go away. We just want to be there to serve you. But there's, there's a need to take a draw, a line in the sand. And like Paul, have somebody that leads you into Damascus so that the spiritual blindness can fall away and the power of God can come into your life. And I encourage you to just make that check mark on your, on your card today and make that choice. Come to God's grace. 
I want to make a twist on this before we move on to the next point. There isn't a single person that you and I know who is beyond the reach of God's grace. You know, I, I, as I was thinking about these truths, I was thinking about the people in my life that, that I've just kind of said, well, they're never going to change. Family members, friends, people I went to college with, high school. You know, and sometimes we get to a place where we say, they're, they're just never going to change. They're beyond hope. I want to tell you, they're not beyond hope. They're not beyond hope. And we need to hear that reminder that there's nobody who's beyond the reach of God's grace. Paul stood amazed that God could reach even him. He was the one who was trying to choke the life out of the church. He was the one who was farthest away from the kingdom of God as it was expressed in Jesus Christ. And God changed his life. I also want you to understand this truth from this text, from Paul. And I'm trying, we'll make sure I get it the way I put it in your notes. No matter what, no no matter who we are, what we've done, where we come from, etc., God has the ability to completely transform us. God has the ability to completely transform us. It's interesting that Paul considered himself to be the least of the apostles. Exactly the way he expressed it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. He said, you know, I, God, you know, this is the gospel that Jesus was born, da, 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 da. Then he appeared to all the apostles, and then to one is untimely born. He, he appeared to me the least of all the apostles. But you know how he started, started that letter? He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. God had completely transformed Paul's life. He, he was as far away from God as you could get. His pursuit of God was taking him against the work of God. And God changed his life completely. You know, and there's nothing that makes me more depressed and more angry than to have Christians say, that's just the way I am, it's never going to change. That's heresy. That's heresy. It's just the way I am. I'm never going to change. That's heresy. God has the ability to completely transform us. It's not an issue of ability. It's an issue of desire. Do we really want to be transformed? You know, I, 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 want, you know, I came to know Christ as an 11-year-old. I don't have any doubts about the fact that I, I, I really dealt with my sin, that God forgave me, and I was baptized as an expression of that, that faith. But like most, there, there were times where I really wrestled with where that faith kind of found its place. And, and for me, during my sophomore year in high school, the latter part of my sophomore year in high school, God really kind of began the process of shaping the presence of His Son within me. And I got serious about my faith. I started reading the Word every day and going to church and working in our youth group and going on mission projects and et cetera. And, and I have to tell you, there was a season in there for a couple of years where, you know, I was playing football and lacrosse. And in case you've never been in a football or lacrosse locker room or been on the field, the language isn't all that wholesome, you know, to, to understate it, you know, especially among a group of high school boys. They have very limited vocabularies. And the vast majority of their words are swear words. 
You know, and, and I, I began, you know, and I knew that my language needed to change. And, and I wondered if God was ever going to be able to change that in me. And, and, and it was a battle. <laughs> and the journey went like this, from me using the language to using less of the language. And then I would only use the language where only I could hear it. You know, I'd have my helmet on, you know, but, you know, nobody else could hear it. And then I got to a place where I'd only think it. And then by the time I was in college, I didn't even think it anymore. And don't give up. God can change you. Some of you are saying, you know, that there is just absolutely no way I'm ever going to be able to forgive that person for what they did to me. God can transform you. Some of you are so hurt, even by the church, you're saying, I can never trust or be committed again. God can transform you. God can transform you. God longs to transform us. Don't settle for anything but the full and unobstructed presence of Christ in your life. Just one last closing point. What is faith the way it's supposed to look like? That's why we've been doing this study. It's very interesting that here was Paul on his way to Damascus to apprehend the Christians, to take hold of the Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, God grabbed hold of him. You know, in Philippians 3, he talks about, he says, you know, I don't consider having gone there, but for what God laid a hold of me for, I continue to press on so I can take hold of it myself. And he describes that experience on the Damascus Road as God apprehending him. You know, the real issue about where the faith, the way it should be, is whether or not we've really truly been apprehended by Christ. What's got a hold on you today? What's got a hold on you today? Let's pray together. God, thanks for Paul. For the vast majority of, maybe all of us, none of us would be sitting in this room today if you hadn't met him and he hadn't been changed by your grace. God, let the story of his life challenge the unfolding story of our lives. Let your grace reach us. And change us as you take hold of us. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.